What if I told you that there was a way for your financial brand to level up, to finally escape having to ever compete on the same commoditized great rates, amazing service, and laundry list of lookalike product features that every other financial brand promotes. Not only that, at the same time, you would be able to improve your culture, improve the well-being of your internal team, which would lead to increased retention, which would lead to increased service externally, while also at the same time unlocking new interest income opportunities that pays dividends, pays dividends in a different way, pays dividends by deepening the relationship that your financial brand has with people and the trust fund that sits between their ears as you make emotional deposits into their mind every 30 days. Most of all, what if I told you that you could finally transform the lives of people in your community by giving them more than just that commoditized loan or that commoditized deposit product, but truly helping them level up their financial confidence so they can get beyond the financial stress that is taking a toll on their health, on their relationships, and on their overall well-being. Now, if these questions get you thinking, if these questions get you excited about future growth opportunities, well, this episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast is just for you. Greetings and hello, my name is James Robert Lay and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and joining me for today's conversation is Shannon McClay. Shannon is the founder and the CEO of The Financial Gym and today, Shannon and I are going to explore some of the biggest growth opportunities that you can create, that you can capture at your bank, at your credit union, at your fintech through a commitment to first establish and then expand a financial coaching program. We're also gonna bust some of the myths that have prevented financial brands from integrating financial coaching into their product mix. And as a result, they're still competing on the same great rates, amazing service and commoditized laundry list of product features that every other financial brand promotes. But also at the same time, they're missing out on millions, if not tens of millions of dollars in loans and deposits. Welcome to the show, Shannon. It is so good to share time with you today. So good to be with you too, James. Absolutely. And before we get into talking about the opportunities that might be there for financial brands to either create even more value than just offering a commoditized product, but 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 offering coaching, financial coaching, what is good in your world right now, personally, professionally, does your pick to get started? I mean, all things are good in our world. And I can't wait to talk about the value of coaching because we are literally seeing it unfold in real time here at Financial Gym as we launch uh, a new subsidiary, our RIA subsidiary, FG Advisory Services, which is a service our clients have been asking for, investment management as we're helping them grow and build wealth. They're like, can you help me manage my wealth? And we have now, we are going live literally uh, this week with that and have very high demand from our clients and really excited to see the um, extension of the coaching relationship grow into other areas of the business. I am so excited about this news for you because it's like I've been watching the journey that you've been on. Um, if I think about the world of coaching, financial coaching specifically, it's been an area that I have been researching, thinking about, writing about, speaking about for almost a decade 
as a digital anthropologist through the lens of financial services, you, on the other hand, You've done. I've been building it, James. I've been doing it. I've been in the weeds for the last 10 years. You've been writing about it. I've been in the weeds proving it for the last 10 years. Yeah. And yes, you and I connected years ago because you wrote your first book and you were interviewing me about coaching. And I remember when we connected, I was like, somebody gets it too. That's right. You know, it's like you feel like the crazy person in the desert, like saying, no, 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 this is the thing. And then um, you hear somebody and, you know, you've been in that too. And I was like, yes, he gets it. Well, you've been it. doing it. And I think that's that's yeah. that's why I, I want to surface some of the lessons that you've learned. But mm-hmm. when, when we say this word financial coaching within financial services, banks, credit unions, it doesn't matter, even fintech. Yeah, they I, I think there's a lot of different ways to think about it. So before we get into what it is in the context today from what you've been doing, take us back in time to when mm-hmm. you first started the financial gym. Um, because you used to work in, in banking yourself. Yes, I am a gosh, 13 year veteran, 14 year. I can't, can't keep up. Uh, when did I leave? 15 year veteran of financial or traditional financial services. So started on a trading floor, Bank of America in the year 2000, worked in investment banking with them for eight years, had two years in a hedge fund, then back to Bank of America after they had merged with Merrill Lynch in 2009. And I was working with Merrill Lynch advisors in that role, then became a Merrill Lynch advisor. So I, I literally seen all sides of the banking industry and finance industry um, at that point. And I became a Merrill Lynch financial advisor because I was looking for my own advisor at that time. And I tell people in that process, I just became woke to the advisory space. It just, and I'd seen it, I know it, I'd been in financial services for 13 years at that point, but you know, 70 plus percent were men. And I always say, there's not a problem with that. I married a man. I birthed a man. I am not a male here. I love them. Um, but it just felt really unfair that it was hard to find anything really different than mm. an old white man right. at that time. So I was like, if you can't beat them, join them. So I became a Merrill Lynch financial advisor and I wanted to help more women become advisors. But as I was building and learning the financial advisory space, I was seeing a whole other field of people who were being neglected by the space. So at Merrill Lynch, you had to have 250,000 in assets to work with me. You literally didn't count as a client, as a household, unless you had 250,000 in assets. So I was mentored. I always use mentored in air quotes because I never took their advice, but I was mentored at Merrill Lynch to pre-screen my calls to make sure people even had money before I talked to them because they wouldn't even count. And I remember hearing that and thinking, I really don't feel comfortable asking someone someone how much money they have before we have coffee. Right. So I neglected that advice and I said yes to every meeting and I became the advisor of yes. I was people were like I have a friend who needs an advisor. I'm like, "Yes, let's meet. Let's discuss." And I was meeting all these people and who were not Merrill Lynch clients. One of the first people when I met with her, she started telling me her story. She said, "I have 250,000." And I was like, great. It was almost like a movie. I was like, perfect. And then she says, of student loan debt. Oh. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. Right. Like, I was like, oh, total other side of the balance sheet, right? And um, and she's like, and I I make I only make fifty thousand dollars a year, not the six figure law job my private law school told me I would have when I graduated. And she's like, I just feel unlovable. Who would mm. want to marry me with all this debt? And that was a lot to unpack over coffee. But I was like, I gotta help this person. And, and then I started becoming the pathway to becoming the worst financial advisor ever, because I just kept taking more and more of those, what I call pro bono meetings and, um, and working with those people. 
um, and loving that work and um, figuring out how to help them. And, and I literally did that for a period of time until I, I hit my aha, I hit my spark of fire, Oprah aha moment. Um, and it was a week of my life that was 11 years ago now, but the week started with a couple that was a Merrill Lynch couple had over a million dollars with me. We were doing their quarterly review. Their portfolio was down 3%. And it was like the end of the world to them. They were yeah. like, how are the kids going to go to college? How is this going to happen? Like it, they were like losing their minds. And I spent an hour of my life making them feel better about being a little less rich. You know, and their portfolio, by the way, was down 3% because the markets were down. Right. By the way, the markets were down 6%. Their portfolio is down 3 um, but I spent all this time assuring them that they were going to be okay. And I left that meeting feeling like almost like a high ick factor because I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. And then a few days later, I met with one of those pro bono clients and I had done a plan for her, at, which is similar to plans we do at the gym. It's just bulleted. Here's what, how you, much you need to save. Here's how you deal with the credit cards. Here's what you do with student loans. And in that meeting, she said, you know, you're saving my life, right? And I was like gosh, this meeting feels so much better than that other meeting. I never yeah. thought a financial plan could save anybody's lives, but P.S. it can. And at the same time, I was on a weight loss journey and I was like, there's so many places people could go to lose weight and get physically healthy. But if people want to get financially healthy, this was my dilemma. Where do I send all these pro bono clients to who are willing to pay money, who want, they don't want a handout. They don't want a nonprofit. They want to pay for help. Where do I send these people that's going to treat them like a human being and, and worthy, no matter what their net worth says? And I thought, if you want to get financially healthy, you would go to a financial gym. And it literally came to me like a lightning. I was like, it's a gym. It's a it's like H&R Block, but fun and cool. Advisors yeah. are trainers. They wear jeans and T-shirts. And clients pay a monthly membership fee, just like a regular gym. And just like a regular gym, anyone can work out there. And we'll, you know, we have workouts for everybody. And that was 11 years ago now. Wow. You know. When you share that story, it just, it makes so much sense. It's, it's the, yeah. it's the obvious and the connection between a person's financial well-being and their physical well-being. It's, it's becoming even more documented. The TD Bank, I remember did a study called the fiscal fit study. And this was years ago, but it was mm -hmm. what really started to spark my mind of like you we have gyms for physical wellness. Yep. financial quote-unquote wellness back in the day let's say a decade ago was financial education financial literacy and mm -hmm. while i think that was great at the time mm -hmm. if we go back a decade now because a decade gives us a good horizon line to review from yeah people might be quote-unquote more knowledgeable but it hasn't transformed behavior and well, yeah because what they did yeah. was they yeah. What they did was they give they gave coursework and like app and technology like, hey, let these people figure it out on their own. What they missed in that process is that financial literacy is another language, just mm. like, you know, learning English or Greek or, um, you know, or French. It's a whole other language. And if you give somebody a course on French without any context or somebody mm -hmm. teaching it, then they're going to watch that course and not understand half of it. Because yes. it doesn't make sense if you don't put it in context. And while, while some of those courses were well-intentioned and we saw a number of them, I, I know Bank of America worked with, I'm, I'm forgetting, I know you'll know James, but whatever the Institute was to do uh, coursework on it. I was like, okay, that's great. And these are cute videos with cute, cute diagrams. But if you don't understand what they're saying, we had a, we had an, a meeting uh, or we had a, um, we used to do when we had physical locations opened at the gym, we called them wine and learn Wednesdays. And every Wednesday night, 
we'd host an event um, about a topic, an educational topic, and people have wine and drinks and, and, and learn something. And one of those nights we did investing 101 and I, we go through, you know, the, the terms and, um, and a woman raised her hand at the end of it. Cause I said, Hey, questions it's a room about a hundred people. And she raised her hand. She's like, I know it's going to be dumb, but can you tell me where the markets are? Because everybody says I should be investing in the markets, but what are they? Is it a place I go to? Wow. Is it like, what is that? And that was an aha to me, James. Like, and I, in the past, I'd had question, clients ask, what's the difference between equities and stock? What's the difference between fixed income? You know, those kind of things. And I've, I've been used to answering those. That was another aha of what are the markets? And I was like, wow, people don't have a basic understanding of the fundamentals of the language. Yes. And so if you don't understand that and somebody's saying investing in the markets, you don't even know what a market is, then you're not picking up on anything. You you're touching on something that I wrote about in banking on digital growth that I diagnose as banker knees. It back to your point of, you know, financial literacy, quote unquote, being another language. We even see this when we conduct and facilitate digital secret shopping studies on bank and credit union websites. There's a, just a, it's a vocabulary. And wh mm -hmm. what our perspective of the world is, is different than the perspective outside. I, I want to look at the larger financial services landscape for just a moment. And, because yeah. what we're talking about is a, a misunderstanding uh, here to begin with. What's a, When we think about financial coaching, what is a, a mm -hmm. common misconception that other financial brand leaders at banks and credit unions might have around this terminology, financial coaching, yeah. that you would disagree with and provide a, an alternative perspective based upon your experience? They think, and they've always thought this, I saw this when I was at Merrill Lynch and Bank of America, I think what most brands, financial brands feel like is if they um, they provide a human resource, the coach, that, oh, there's millions of people. We can't, we can't possibly, they'll be so draining on our human capital. You know, how do we address this? And um, and by the way, our coaching business has 50% profit margins. So um, we you can do pro coaching profitably, FYI. Um, but, you know, I, I hate that because it's like you don't want to give a human pause. being. I, I want to pause you on that because that's a. Okay. I, I don't want to gloss over that point. Because yeah. I know I think about who listens to this. Profitability is important. Mm -hmm. Can we rewind that just one second about margins here? Because I just yeah. want, I, I don't want that to be something that we just blow by. Yeah, we've had anywhere between 40 upwards of 50% profit margins um, from our coaching business. And most wealth management profit margins are in the 24%. And so I said, I've got a more profitable person sitting in this seat. And we we hadn't even had a wealth management solution at that point. Mm -hmm. And and again, our clients were were willing to pay for the service. And and I think that's the thing too, is that the banks feel like they've got to or financial institutions have to charge fees or, or, you know, interest rates, and they have to make money behind the scenes that, you know, to be profitable on clients. First of all, we have a lot more knowledgeable clients with Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Zs. They know what's happening behind the scenes. They get that there's all these fees happening. And so that's not really going to work for them anymore. And what they'd rather do is they'd rather pay you <laughs> to give them that advice that, and know what they're paying for and trust the advice. And then, you know, they'll do the other things. And so, so I just always hated that. And, and, and as a startup, I had a difficult time raising money because we had a physical location and everybody wanted to see tech only. Mm. And then they wanted to see apps and they wanted to see a bot or an AI advisor. And I was like, okay, but 
people need to talk to a human being and they're going to cry in front of a human being and not a bot or an app, which people are very emotional around money. And, um, and my argument was like, look, you're going to spend a lot of money on people, but it's going to be web developers and engineers who are very expensive to the bottom line to create this these apps and techs versus you could have a more cost effective, you know, branch employee who's trained as a coach who's going to bring more profitability than that engineer on any web app that that, that your client's not even going to use because We've seen this too over the years. Here's the other misconception that I think the industry has been trying to give too much technology to people thinking they're going to use it. They don't want to use it, James. Money is very stressful for people. There's plenty of research to show that. So if you're feeling stressed about something, why are you going to get into an app that's going to make you more stressed and anxious Mm. about it? Our clients avoid. I had a client years ago tell me Mint.com was judging her. And I was like, what do you mean Mint.com is judging you? It's an app. She's like, well, it told me I spent too much dining out last week. And I was like, well, you probably did. But, you know, that's because you said you spend $100 going out a weekend. You don't even know what you're doing. And you spent $200, which is probably what you're you're normally doing. But you put the wrong input because you're a human being not tracking that. And then the app is just responding to your input. So, But the the point of all that is that she's like, Mint.com judges me. So I deleted the app. Right. So if the tech is stressing people out, they're just going to delete it or not go into it. And we saw that we had we have a web portal. We have, you know, our clients can go in and and use it. They're never in there. They wait for their quarterly meeting. They wait for their their coach or their trainer. We call them trainers here. They wait for their trainer to tell them how they're doing. They think they're doing horrible. And the trainer's going to give them, you know, hey, I pulled the numbers together. Here's what it looks like. And they're like, oh, it's better than I thought. Or if it's bad. At least they can deal with it live instead of on their own with the app and get in all their feels and be depressed. Yes. So you're touching on this idea of, we'll just call it at a macro level, accountability. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I have been coaching now for at least seven or eight years that take PFM, mint.com, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. People are more likely to be held accountable by another human being than by yeah. a bot, an app, an AI. Yeah. It's human behavior here at its core yeah. fundamental level. I mean, something as simple as you can ignore an alarm. You hit the snooze button. That's a machine. But if you have someone who's waking you up to hold you accountable, it changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. And you're touching into this idea of, of, of relationship with money. Mm-hmm. I, I want to dive into another misconception here for clarity because financial coaching can be interpreted mm-hmm. by some within the industry as it's just another word for financial advisor. Right. What's the difference between the coach or the trainer, as you call them, mm-hmm. and a financial advisor? Yeah. So a lot, they're a different person. So I, and I've seen a number of financial institutions try to implement a coaching program and they take their advisory team and try to train them to be Uh. coaches. And I've told those institutions it's going to fail because the mindset of an advisor, at least in the traditional state that I've worked with that I know is out there, we call them the Gary's here at the gym. Um, But that advisor has a different mindset than a coach. And a person who's got a coaching mindset is going to approach a client differently than a person with an advisor mindset. But the the coach aspect of it all is is really getting in the weeds and kind of understanding the client, giving them empathy and resources um, instead of just trying to 
point them in a way and, and feel like you're the expert, you know, which is a typical advisor role. The coach is more kind of like working out with the client. And what, what we've seen happen with the coaching, I've, for years, I had people tell me, are you worried that you have unlicensed advisors working for you? Because up until recently, we weren't licensed advisors. And I said, no. I'm I'm never concerned about that. I'm honestly more concerned that I have unlicensed therapists working for me. Um, I don't know who the regulatory body is for therapists. I'm, I've been more concerned about them coming after me because the the type of meetings and the work we're doing in a coaching session, it's it's about mindset shift. It's about what's happening. Like we're not just only tracking our clients' expenses. We're not tracking them with judgment or to say anything. We're just trying to figure out what's happening. And in those meetings, we find out okay, a client spent $2,000 on Amazon buying self-help books because they broke up with their partner and they're in a bad place. And that's why, but if the app sends a, an alert, you spent $2,000 on at Amazon and judges you because you had that big spend, that's a different experience versus a coach being like, let's talk through this. Okay, you, 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 what the $2,000 spend, I, I like to like, and I like make a lot of analogies to fitness stuff. It's like they ate a cheesecake, right? Yeah. It's not the best for us physically to eat an entire cheesecake in one sitting, but they did it. Can I take back that cheesecake? I mean, yeah, we could probably return those books, but like, you know, she read all, you know, she was using them for her self-help. So now we just have to work off the cheesecake. I can't judge you for eating the whole cheesecake like an app will do. I just got to, we got to work on how we work off the cheesecake now and how we try not to eat another cheesecake, at least for a few months till we work off this cheesecake. This is something that I, discussed in depth with Dr. Megan McCoy um, and her affiliation with the Financial Therapy Association. There's a lot of connection here, once again, between the mental piece of this, the mindset piece mm -hmm. of this. This is also, uh, I'm about to publish my second book, Banking on Change. And while the this first take is written to a financial brand leader that is having to navigate the complexity of change within an organization, whether that's digital transformation, cultural transformation, brand transfer, whatever that is, the mm -hmm. tenets in this book can easily be applied externally to financial transformation for mm -hmm. account holders. However, yeah. I think there's, there's a, a way to look at creating value here. Um, and that's starting within it's starting to work with internal team members that work within a financial brand that mm -hmm. are dealing with imposter syndrome they're yeah. struggling they're yep. not yep. in the best financial shape and there's no there should be no shame tied to there's that. no shame 70 70 plus percent of americans live paycheck to paycheck and I'm, and then that number's higher it was lower last year because student loan payments weren't back yep. this year now student loan payments are going to be back and the average student loan payment's like 300 dollars. so now i know that number is going to be higher than 70 plus percent but the point is the large majority of americans are living paycheck to paycheck so if you're in that camp you are not alone mm. you're actually with the majority of your peers. The the thing is people just don't know because we don't wear our financial digits around like we could wear our weight or even our mental health. We could see even on Zoom meetings, you could see if somebody's struggling that day. Yeah. You could see that you could see a mental tiredness. You could see a physical tiredness. You can't see a financial tiredness. Everybody's hiding it mm. because we're not posting our net worths everywhere. Not we're not posting our transactions anywhere. Right. So we're all hiding it, but well, they, we're all experiencing it. And then you compo compound that with comparison culture and insta, mm -hmm. you know, picture and TikTok and whatnot, everyone else is, you know, living their quote unquote best life. And, and I know that a lot of that's going to be like generational context. Um, yep. But if we come back 
and we take care of our internal team first, we increase their financial confidence. Um, yeah. This was actually something that uh, SunTrust did back about a decade ago. Uh, Super Bowl mm -hmm. is right around the corner. Um, 2014, they launched the On Up program. Um, mm -hmm. And they started first and foremost working within their associates. And what yeah. they did is they actually created, uh, it was like they did, they did an internal study about $1,500 in emergency saving over about, I think it was like a six month period. And then they launched mm -hmm. externally to the public, but it makes a lot of sense. And it's something that in banking on change, I have a new formula for growth where EX plus HX in parentheses can then be multiplied by DX. So employee experience plus human experience can then be multiplied by a digital experience. That mm -hmm. is a path towards growth. Yeah. But even I think about there are people who listen to this podcast, bankers, credit union leaders, fintech leaders. We have had them start reaching out to us and saying, you're scratch, you're onto something, you're pressing on a pain and I'm mm -hmm. resonating with it. Mm -hmm. How can I get some help here? And so we're making some recommendations, you know, financial gym and uh, others that it's like, hey, there are the resources, but they're like, well, why are we not doing this? Why are we yeah. not supporting our team internally? And I don't know. Because nobody because nobody wants to give resources to their employees, right? Because it's expensive. And we've talked to a number of companies about this. They're afraid of giving them, and they've told us, HR heads are afraid of giving the service to their employees because they're like, well, what if they ask us for more money and we can't afford to pay them more? And then what's going to happen there? And my response to them is, FYI, people, the large majority of our clients, which we've worked with over 15,000 people in all 50 states at this point, the large majority of our clients are not coming to us saying, I want to make more money. I, what they're saying is I want to be paid fairly. Um, they're not, and they're not saying I want to be, make more money. What they're saying is I want my lifestyle to work for me. Yeah. I don't know what lifestyle I can afford. Um, I know I'm living above my means. I don't know what it is. They're not asking for more. Actually, most people want to make less. Most people want to reach financial independence and not have to work into their sixties, um, which means adjusting to living off of less. So I say you're wrong in your response is like your employees aren't necessarily, and they're not going to ask for more money. They want to, they want to feel confident and energized with the money they're making and they want to be paid fairly. Yeah. But I, I think the counter argument to that, once again, coming back from the research that we've done, the, the average cost of quote unquote financial stress is making a negative impact. Oh yeah. $5,000 per employee per year. And so Thinking about this, whether that's the internal context with, you know, leveling up the financial confidence of those working within a financial brand or externally leveling up the confidence of account holders, how much, and, and you touched on this and I want to loop back, how much does an understanding of human behavior play into establishing and expanding a, a program like this to begin with within the first place? And, and perhaps could a lack of knowledge around human behavior, maybe even more deeply, uh, an empathy gap an impediment for financial brands integrating coaching into their product mix. Thousand percent. And I'll tell you why. We, we've been doing this for 11 years. We obviously learned a lot along the way. And in the early days, it was, we had early adopters, you know, closer, like wanting to do a thing. We got to a point early on, it was like in 2017, where we were 
part of our process was we'll send people the um, intake, like what they need to send to us before they have their first session. We had people not showing up for the first session hmm. and we're like, what's going on? And, um, and we had to do research. We realized that people didn't want to fill out that spreadsheet because they had anxiety around it. And so, and then the, the, then, the, then that gave them anxiety around the first meeting. Hmm. And so, um, you know, then we had to adjust our process there. Then, um, you know, we call your our, your first session with us at Financial Gym the financially naked session, and it's a tongue in cheek thing, but it's it's that we're acknowledging how taboo money is, and when our client is telling us all these details, what their credit score is, how much money they have their in their bank account, they are stripping financially in front of us and we're fully clothed. And that's the level of discomfort that we now know our clients have. And that's why we're able to train our team better to address that. Cause we've learned that over the last 10 plus years of the, the behavioral finance of it all. But um, I also just have to say, I love that we have the term financially naked in our form ADV that's been filed with the SEC and approved and uh, accepted by the SEC. So I just love that we even have the term financially naked in there. Um, but but that's the level of human emotion. And I think the large majority of financial institutions have no idea. And what's crazy to me is that they're feeling it. Every every influencer, every decision maker in a financial institution, because we just said 72% are living paycheck to paycheck, they're feeling it. And yet they're having this lack of empathy, understanding that their employees are having it or their clients are experiencing it, or their, you know, their members are experiencing it. And um and that's the thing we've learned. We have been having very intimate conversations with people in a therapy, it feels therapy like for the last 11 years. Yeah. There's not a single financial institution who has that much data, you know, for us. And, and the, here's the crazy thing. We have a coaching program for employers that's $15 a person or, uh, per month. And we feel like it's a great bargain, right? We're like, look, you're paying $500 a month for their health insurance. You're paying, you're paying $70 a month for them to go to the gym. You will pay $15 a month to get them financially healthy. And by the way, in a 20-minute session that our coaches have with their employees, dramatically changes their life. We're getting clients to save thousands in 20 minutes. They're, and you won't give that to your employees? Come on. Well, I'm going to come back to something. It's this idea that 70, 80% of people in the United States feel that financial stress. They feel that financial anxiety. Whenever I go and I do keynote sessions, you know, mm -hmm. I've got 1,000, 2,000 people. And I bring this up and I'm like, listen, I'm not asking anyone to raise a hand, but I want yeah. you to think about yourself for a moment. Is that mm -hmm. you? It's almost obvious who it is because I can look out from the stage and I see you the see them, body language. Eyes. I see the squirming in the chair and it's not to call anyone out, but it's like, it, you don't have to do this alone. And I even think we facilitated a session with a little cohort that we had. It was a bunch of marketing leaders. And I said, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to go into breakout rooms. And I just want you mm -hmm. to just share your financial narrative. I, I want you to see what just this feels like. And you can share as much as you want to share or as little as you want to share. But remember, all transformation that leads to future growth starts by telling the truth. And there's a... Well, it was probably like group therapy, right, James? It, it was it, like a group therapy session. We've it, had those two. Yeah. It was. And it's liberating. I, it was completely liberating. And I think, you know... This gets into a whole different level of like raising, quote unquote, human consciousness, um, like mm -hmm. Dr. Uh, Hawkins. I mean, he has his map of consciousness. And what is the very bottom of that map of consciousness? It's shame. It's fear. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. guilt. And so if we can at least raise this up, because what happens is when you share that that story. It yeah. requires courage to lean into that. 
even more so, I would say, if you're working within the vertical. And so I want to get a little practical here as as we start to Mm -hmm. wrap up. How does this work? Like, 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 practically speaking, what does the financial coaching look like applied? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Step one, you have to hire the right coaches. So trying to make an advisor a coach, you're going to, you're, you're doomed to fail right there, right? Um, you've got to hire the right people. Um, and when you think about hiring a coach, I think about the the type of um, institutions, the way they hire for branch employees is that, right? Because, and you see the way that a lot of the institutions have gone with branch employees, they're like customer service reps, you know, they're, um, they're in the hospitality, they maybe were in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry before, maybe they're teachers, you know, there's certain personality type, we know, I'm not going to give away all our secrets, but we know that the personality types that make really great coaches, because we've been doing it for the last 10 years, but there is a personality, so hiring the right team, having the right training program that is going to address all the things, because by the way, your training program shouldn't just be uh, what's a CD and um, how to open up a credit card, you will get to that. Here's the thing is like that. I, I just want to say the final point. So it's, it's a, sorry, I'm going to get back to this. It's hiring the right people. It's the right training program. It's the right support for them over a period of time. Those I think are the, the critical things. And then, you know, constantly reviewing that process. But um, when we do a uh, coaching session for a client, we get all their financially naked information. And then the next session, we're d- discussing the, the wellness plan and how they can enact it. Typically, clients need three to four financial products that we identify in that first session. So um, what I hate is most financial institutions lead with product. And what we do is we lead with coaching and we identify the products through that process. And um, and and what I've tried to advise other institutions as well is like, look, you can cross sell multiple products if you just start with this coaching first mentality or how do we help our client? How do we help our member? How do we help our user with, with the resource they need? You'll be able to sell as many products as you want to them after that. Go read chapter nine of banking on digital growth because it's the matter is how you perceive yourself in, in, in the narrative that you're telling. And if you think of yourself as the hero, you're going to enter into the story of someone else, a member or an account holder or a user if you're a fintech, you're going to enter into that narrative as the anti-hero because there can only be two heroes in a narrative. You have your protagonist, you have your antagonist. What you're talking about here is taking on an even more important role, which is that of the helpful and empathetic guide. And mm-hmm. you're, you're, going all in, you're asking good questions, you're listening to what they're having to say, but you're also learning through observation, which comes back to this idea of human behavior, emotional intelligence. As, as we start to wrap up, I want to look towards the future. Oh, wait, can I just make one yeah, more point, James? Roll it back. Because you, you, uh, you, um, you brought it up. You're also going to have better and happier employees because most most people want to help other people and they want to have a job where they have a meaningful impact on people's lives. And so we have we have teammates who have been with me for seven plus years. I've been doing this for 10 years. I say it's the greatest drug ever. It's a very challenging job, but the work that I do with my clients that I have been for the last 10, 10 years is work that I could do the rest of my life. When you have a client tell you, you you've saved their life yeah. or they've never felt more confident or you see that transformation happen firsthand, you now, financial institution, have given that employee a job that's extremely meaningful instead of a job that where I'm, you know, signing up for bank accounts or, you know, calling somebody because I haven't paid their credit card debt. You're giving somebody the ability to have a really great and meaningful job as well. So it works on both sides. I want to expand upon that thought, too. When you have a coaching program 
and you have a regular cadence of meeting with clients, members, users on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, you're making emotional deposits into the trust fund that sits between their ears, thus raising the brand equity of the yep. brand experience. So there's another kind of residual benefit there. I, th I thought we were going to wrap up. You just brought one, one thought to my mind. I'm going to lead with this myself. Mm -hmm. And the question is, how much does personal experience play into this? And what I mean by that is like, over the last decade plus, I have had a tremendous, I've made a tremendous investment in just my own self, um, mm -hmm. coaching, therapy, marriage mm -hmm. counseling, looking to level up areas of my life, transform pain of the past and to fuel for future growth. If you've never gone through that experience, mm -hmm. could there be a possible perspective gap of the perceived value that could be created here because there's no context into like I can see that I just that was yeah. something that I've I've just kind of became aware of just I, through our conversation I, here. I, yeah I could totally see that because a lot of what um our our philosophy when I was in my early 30s I got life coach it was a life-changing experience for me a lot of those things I learned from my life coach by the way, I teach to my financial coaches, trainers. Um, also, I went through WW Weight Watchers, um, and a lot of that experience has yeah. led into um, how we coach and train our, you know, our teammates. So, uh, yes, having perspective is, is is huge, or having empathy is huge. And I, I think there's um, again, money's so taboo, and and this is the thing. I feel like it's like doctors are the worst patients. Financial institutions have some of the most unhealthy financial behaviors happening in them. And I think that's also creating a barrier for them to be able to provide the services for their mm. employees or their clients, because there is a lot of shame. I worked on a trading floor. Um, I've been working on a trading floor for years. I had some money I needed to invest and guys were like, oh, just put in an ETF. I nodded my head. I didn't know what an ETF was. 14 years ago before before I became, became a financial advisor and I felt dumb and I was like how do I I should know this I'm right. on the trading floor I like why don't I know what an ETF is and I think there's a lot of that happening in financial institutions and if we all like you just said earlier if we're just all honest with each other and all just like look each other in the face and say everybody's struggling here how do we provide a solution for everyone yep. I think we can get past these barriers these the shame and guilt of where we're working and what we look like financially and, and, and all that stuff. It's the ancient wisdom of a rising tide lifts all ships. It's about leveling mm -hmm. up and growing and being even better together. So I want to look ahead towards the future from two different angles as, as we really do wrap up. Uh, and this is for yeah. real. Cause I'm sorry. I didn't let you. Wrap up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I've really enjoyed this dialogue um, and this discussion because it's, it's provided me with, with some additional things to think about too. Number one, look ahead towards the future yourself, from your lens, from your vantage point, at a macro level, what are you most hopeful about for the industry at large when it comes to the possibilities of integrating financial coaching into the quote unquote, what I'll call the product mix? What are you most hopeful about? I'm most hopeful that I think that people are starting to see it more, um, the institutions are. So I've been doing this for 10 years. In the last two years, I've had more inbound people coming to us from an institutional level asking us about how to start a coaching program or um, how a coaching program, co 
program should look. So I'm optimistic that I'm seeing that happen in the industry. Um, I see I, the way I see it. And, I, and by the way, I'm talking to a number of credit unions about us being a credit union solution for a number of ways. I see people buying into that and seeing it. And I won't give away all of our strategy because it's pretty freaking epic when uh, when it will be launched because at some point it will. But um, the way we see it going is is going to be really game changing. Absolutely. With coaching and financial institution combination. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to that narrative as that continues to unfold. What about just at the financial gym? What are you most excited and energized about as, as you start to write the next decade for the work that you're doing uh, there? I'm so excited for this RA process. Um, you know, we uh, what we the industry when I joined it 14 years ago hasn't changed. Uh, it's still, as one of our teammates said, male, pale, and stale. And um, our team doesn't look like that. Our clients don't look like that. We're really excited to provide them a solution that's going to be honestly game changing to the industry. Game changing. Most of our clients have had to go to robo advisors. We've seen a lot of challenges from there. Um, again, lack of a human. Uh, being in the process. So we're super excited there. And this is just the first step to additional products and services we're going to be able to underwrite and provide for our clients. So we're really excited about where we're expanding into. Well, I am excited. This is the first part. I am excited for you as you continue that journey of growth. Shannon, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thanks for sharing your experience, your knowledge, your journey, the lessons that you've learned along the way to help others. Um, once again, a rising tide does lift all ships. What is the best way for someone to reach out, say hello to you to continue the conversation that we started here today? Great. They can uh, reach us. Go to financialgym.com is our website. Uh, advisory at FinGyms is the email for people if they want to find out more about that or um, at the Financial Gym. I think or I think we're at the Financial Gym on Instagram or I'm at the Shannon McLay on uh, Instagram as well. Lots of great ways to connect with the Financial Gym, to connect with you as well. Lots of great ways to continue to learn, grow and be even better together. Shannon, Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. This has been a lot of fun today. Thanks, James. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.